This is a Word Fitly Spoken, by words about reading the Scripture, about preaching the Scripture, and about the mission on which the Scripture sends all of us. We here at A Word Fitly Spoken aim to give you, the servant of Christ, more and more always from the fullness the Lord has given us in His Holy Word. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. Joining us today, Reverend David Appled, talking about what, guys? Interesting subject. Talking about words. Fitly spoken and fitly heard, I guess. Yeah, listening to God's word. Good branding. I like yeah. it. Yeah, we're going to talk about the hearing of God's word. But first things first, here at Word Fitly. Gentlemen, how is everyone? I'm doing pretty good uh, out here in the West. And if you can believe it, it's actually had a couple of snow flurries re- recently. <laughs> of course. It's, you know, it's September. September. To be fair, they were fast and furious and, you know, didn't stay around and they were to the north of us, but it is a reality and it's coming. So they started almost immediately, but also ended almost immediately. That's good. That's that's true of a lot of the weather around here, though. So. Right. Kentucky's Kentucky's doing just fine. It's it's still the middle of summer. So <laughs> a little rainy here. Crops getting harvested. Nothing, nothing too exciting. And this has been gratuitous weather posting. All right. So guys, let's let's take a look at this subject. You know, it's very important uh, the hearing of the word. There are there's a lot of t- good talk about the sacraments, the right use of them, the frequency of them, you know, all good things. But here in these gray and latter days, sometimes uh, we forget a little bit about that other means of grace, uh the preached word, hearing God's word. It's kind of an important thing in the reformation, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we I think one of our Actually, one of our our goals is to try to recover the uh, language of the chief means of grace, right? So the the it's true there's multiple means of grace, but the preaching of God's word is the chief of them. Yeah, who would have considered it the chief means of grace? I think the the blessed reformers. There you go. Right. I, I forget which <laughs> adjectives I'm supposed to ascribe to which which particular men. Right, pretty much. Let's say all the magisterial. Yeah, there you go. I mean, this the you hear things like this, and you read things like this about the Reformation that the Reformation was a preaching movement, and you know, I I have on my shelf in my office, I think I have, I think there's eight volumes of Luther's sermons. There's probably more than that in Luther's works, but his it was his preaching. I think especially for Luther, Melanchthon, you get a little more of the systematic thought, but what really carried the day for Luther was his preaching. And I think that that's what made the Reformation go. That was the fuel for the fire. So let's just dig right in. So why is preaching important? Well, if if only because, you know, we don't want to make it just sound like this is a purely Reformation kind of thing, but it actually is an extremely biblical one. Faith comes by hearing, right? Right. And how how will they come to believe if they never hear? So, I mean, the, the act of preaching itself is kind of, I mean, it precedes all the other means of grace. I mean, is that is that too strong of a statement, David? No, I think that, well, I think that's what we're getting at when we say the chief means of grace. I mean, it is true that, a ch- you know, infants being baptized are, you know, probably the moment of conversion for a child. But for most people, the way that they are, well, I don't want to say most people because probably most Christians in the West anyways now are brought into the faith through baptism. But it's it's preaching that is actually the the core of the Christian life. And and even think think about this, right? The the amount of time 
that a person spends in the service, like experiencing these things. So let's say, let's just say that the sermon takes 15 minutes. Okay. It, I don't know how long you guys preach, but let's just say that the average is 15 minutes. The person going to the Lord's Supper, and this is not in any way to, to denigrate the Lord's Supper, but the, you know, the experience of the Lord's Supper is a much, much shorter one. So for, for most of our people, I think preaching still and listening to preaching still ranks up there as why do I go to church on Sunday? I go to, to hear God's word. Yeah. And, and we want to, you know, to go back to Zelen's point a little bit, you, know, you alluded to Romans 10 there, Paul, you know, how shall they call on him and who they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How should they hear without a preacher? And then verse 17 uh, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is built into the evangelistic task. It's, it's presupposed that part of the Great Commission is going out and, and, and preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Faith does come by hearing. Yes, faith comes through the sacrament of baptism as well, and faith is strengthened through the Lord's Supper. We don't disagree there, but we also need to remember that faith does indeed come by hearing. You know, just because we have a rich doctrine over here doesn't mean that this other doctrine isn't isn't true. What then should we strive? That's the best way to construct this sentence. What do we want our parishioners to hear when we preach? Yeah, well, there's I think there's there's two things to this, right? There there is the the aspect of content. Right. So Jesus will say, be careful what you hear or be careful what you listen to. So you need to listen, you, you need to be hearing the truth of God's word proclaimed in its purity. You need to hear God's law and God's gospel, all of these things that we say. But Jesus also says, be careful how you listen. And uh, I think this is the difference between like in Mark, he says, be careful what you listen to in Luke. It's be careful how you listen. And that's what what kind of got this particular episode going in my mind anyways, was how often do I do I like tell my congregation what to listen for the content, but do I do I ever talk about how to listen to a sermon? There are a couple of interesting things going on too, especially biblically, and the same thing can be found today. The way we're going to preach to someone who's never heard, and the way we preach to those who believe is different. We assume that the people in our pews, the members of our churches, have had their ears opened by the Holy Spirit to actually hear and believe the word, and indeed they have. I'm talking about baptized, confirmed members here. So so that they do have, unless the hardening is so severe, but they do have ears to hear. Now, you're going to talk to them differently than you would, say, somebody just on the street, right? So you look at, say, Peter's sermon in Acts to the Jews versus his letters later on the difference in the way he's speaking. Same word being rightly divided, but presented rather differently. Now, to be sure, anybody who comes to believe as a result of one of these sermons, that is the work of the Holy Spirit, giving them ears to hear. But the point is, on one side, the sermon sounds a little different than it does on the other side of conversion. And that's a perfectly natural thing. But what, what is common between the two, the necessity of hearing that word, and believing it. And I th- I think that's absolutely right, Willie. I think part of what David was getting at too though is that 
the person who hears, yes, the person who's converted is going to hear differently from the person who's unconverted. But at the same time, the person who is converted runs a very real danger of of closing their ears because of Absolutely. how they're yeah. hearing. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with David at all. Just setting the sort of setting up the two poles here, you know, the two, right. you know, the two different people groups that we're going to be talking to. On the one hand, you're talking to goats with the potential to be converted and the wisdom of God, and on the other side, you've got the sheep that has been trusted to us. Maybe if I if I can kind of put it this way, there even to hear any hearing of God's word is going to be the the result of the Holy Spirit, right? So the Spirit has sure. to awaken faith in a person for them to to hear the word with any profit, right? But once that happens, I think this is like in our confessions, in the formula of Concord, Luther will talk, or not Luther, sorry, <laughs> whoever it is, <laughs> will talk about you know, once once a person has been converted, they're no longer you're, you don't go to church like like a stick or a stone and just sit there and the word, you know, will sort of magically enlighten you. I mean, it, the spirit will work through the preaching of the word, but the person in the pew is their their mental faculties are all being engaged. And so you can listen more profitably or you can listen better than some weeks and other weeks in the same way. It's, this is really just the inverse or the reciprocal. I don't know what the right way to say it is of the reality that we all know. Sometimes you preach better than other times, right? And, and think about how many, how much time like in pastoral theology books, or even in like law and gospel, the law and gospel lectures from Walther, that we spend a lot of time talking from the perspective of the preacher, how do I preach? But we spend not very much time thinking about how do I listen, and so that's what we want to yeah. want to get at and talk about. Right, and even even we fall into into the the trap and the old cliche about you know parishioners only listening to sermons to find things to gripe about, and <laughs> you know anybody can fall into that, especially pastors. You know, instead of instead of hearing what may be good in this, we're going to go let's figure out what we did wrong. And oftentimes, it isn't even the content that we're looking for. It well, he scratched his nose during sure. paragraph right. three or. Or the microphone, you know, cut out 45 minutes into it or whatever. I don't know if this is your guys' experience. I know that I do this on occasion and I really try not to, but I sometimes have a very difficult time listening to other preachers. Uh-huh. No, that you know never what I mean? happens to me, Selwyn. <laughs> that never happens to you, David? Well, you're a better <laughs> man than I, so... Just because we get so used to proclaiming that, you know, like like you said, David, we forget how to listen. Yeah. And so an, another, uh, Willie mentioned the a great key passage, faith comes by hearing. Think of how many times Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you get that in the book of Revelation too. Those those seven letters all end up, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. That refrain, if, if I can call it a refrain, I don't know if it's a refrain, whatever. The fact that Jesus says that a number of times, those just, those aren't just throwaway words, right? And that calls our attention to, okay, how we listen is very important. If if preaching is the chief means of grace, that means that listening is the chief way to receive the means of grace. And we do, I mean, I instruct people sometimes about how to receive the Lord's Supper. You, t- you talk with people, especially beforehand. I've got a couple of, of people in my congregation, ladies who are pregnant, and I've been talking with them about, okay, here's how the baptismal service is going to go. 
what strikes me is I, I spend very little time actually telling people, here's how to listen to a sermon. I mean, I try to do it with my confirmation students, but I never do it other than that. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have a way of, of bringing this up, but I think that it would be a fruitful thing for people to, to stop and think about, okay, how, what, do I, what am I thinking about when I'm sitting there and the pastor's preaching to me? What does listening yeah. look like? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of, of looking too, I mean, we don't want to overlook the fact that, yes, hearing is the primary organ at, at work here. The ear is the primary organ, but also the eye can be part of this too. You know, if we're reading the Bible, that's very much still a part of hearing the word. I know it's not, unless we're actually reading out loud, like they used to do in ancient days, we're not, you know, actively hearing it. But it is still part of receiving the word. And we can be just as inattentive reading the Bible as we can, you know, on Sunday morning. Or just as neglectful. Right. Yeah. So when, we, when we're talking about hearing God's word, maybe it, it's useful to, to make this distinction. You're hearing God's word preached. You're also hearing, hearing God's word written down or the, script, the inscripturated word too. And we'll talk about both of those uh, in this episode here. So let's um, move along then to then the specifics of, of listening. How would one prepare to listen to a sermon or to hear God's word? Well, we have the advantage of, of course, and I think all of us are, are using the, the one-year lectionary, but we have the advantage of, of being able to know what, what is the pastor going to preach on before we come to church. All of my members do anyways. They could ask me, you know, I might not be able to tell them I'm going to preach on the Old Testament or the epistle or the gospel, but I can say it's going to be something on one of these three texts and I can point that out well ahead of time. So the number one thing is familiarity, having read what you're going to hear about before you get there. And that should be, I mean, this a lot of this stuff is common sense, I think. Don't you guys think this is not rocket science? We don't have some kind of secret mystical way to hear <laughs> and listen to a sermon, but it is, we, we just want to call attention to the significance of this because the preaching of God's word is, again, the chief means grace. So f- to answer your question, Willie, sorry, I got off on a, a tangent there. To answer your question, the, I think that the number one thing is to actually read the readings before you hear the sermon. And and I don't just mean, mm-hmm. well, yeah, of course I listen when the Old Testament is being read. I think I think you got to read before the service. Probably the best practice is on Saturday to to actually take some time and and read through and be looking for, okay, what are the key words? What are what are some of these places? What do I know about these things or what don't I know that I would hope that my pastor would explained to me in the sermon. I mean, having expectations is part of hearing with profit. Now that you've prepared, you don't have to worry about, say, following along with the readings in the service on Sunday, right? Or, or, or some of those things that can sometimes distract a little bit from just the hearing and receiving of the word. There's that temptation when you're sort of following along that text to go, hey, okay, pastor skipped this word by mistake, or he didn't he, didn't, he had too much of a pregnant pause on this comma or something like that, you know? And, and I know it sounds really elementary to say, just listen. Listen to the word as it's being read and, and hear it. Listen and hear. There we go. <laughs> these, these little simple things to try to make it, try to make it more fruitful. You know, we're not necessarily listening for a performance, a performative, you know, act when someone reads the word. Apologies to some people. 
and I mean, you don't necessarily have to be John Edwards, you know, reading so deadpan, but what are we looking for when we hear the word of God? It is what is God telling the church here in this text? So let's listen to it. And then not long after those readings are done, the pastor is then going to, if he's doing his job, he's going to exposit on that text and make it more clear for you. Yeah, I think that, that what goes along, and this is fairly, this should be kind of standard to to our hearers, but when you, we should we should say it explicitly anyways, anytime you're you're reading God's word, there should probably be prayer accompanying that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those two things go together. So you read to pray and you pray to read. And like we mentioned before, the, the spirit is at work to open our ears and to, ha- and to help us listen and to bring the message home. So uh, to pray for God's spirit, to help the preacher, to help me as a listener. I mean, I don't think that it's too redundant to, to mention that here, that prayer preparation in advance, reading in advance, it's got, it, it makes a difference. It really does. That's even something that the church can facilitate easily. You could print it in the bulletin. Okay, next week's readings are going to be this. I mean, I realize 0.0% of people actually read the bulletin. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> but it could still be easily accessible. You know, if not like you said, like you said earlier, they could ask you. They could consult the calendar, sometimes yeah. literal calendars, you know, that are that are on the wall. Think think about how 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 easy is it to you're right, most people don't read the bulletin, but isn't it quite easy to put something like this on Facebook that people again, you know, are they going to stop and take 15 minutes just because they saw it in the endless scroll of things? Maybe not, but um at least you can get it in front of people. Hey, here's what we're going to be hearing this upcoming week. Here are, you know, some questions to consider as you prepare. I I I find that kind of stuff really beneficial. Good stuff. All right, with that, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God is the center of our faith life. Join us every Thursday for a new podcast available on iTunes and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us on Twitter at WordFitly. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash WordFitly. And check out our website, wordfitlyspoken.org. We thank you for listening and stay tuned for more WordFitly Spoken. back. You are listening to Word Fitly Spoken. Willie Grill, Zoe and Heidi, David Apple talking about hearing the Word of God. A lot of good discussion in segment one. So let's say you're a parishioner or a pastor. Maybe you're on vacation. You're going to church like you should while on vacation. And you come to church, you sit down. Hymn of the day has just been sung. Perhaps the creed has been confessed a little bit before that. Now it's time for the sermon. Let's talk a bit about how we listen to a sermon 
as it's being preached? What should one expect from a sermon? Yeah, so we we talked about this before. The ex, what whatever expectations you bring, that's largely going to influence whether you kind of leave the service saying that was good or not good, right? So if I have certain expectations, the pastor should tell three jokes in the sermon, and he doesn't live up to that. Well, is that the criteria for whether the sermon was good or not? You know, that, it could be the opposite. I could I could think there should be no joking because this is the preaching of God's word. So if he makes a joke, now my expectations have been ruined or, you know, it hasn't lived up to those expectations. So all of that is just to say, whatever I expect is going to play a large role in determining how I, how I hear the sermon. And I think that, that for many of us, the expectation is what I tell my, my confirmation students you you need to you should expect to hear the preaching of God's law and the preaching of the gospel. Now, how exactly that's going to play out c- could take a variety of forms. But and I don't want to I don't want to dumb it down and say, well, that's all that there is. You just should expect to hear law and gospel because I think we want to talk about how there are different different kinds of sermons in the same way that there's different genres of scripture and there's different ways that the especially in the epistles that the word of god is going to address you and you can't lock it in and say it's always going to be this kind of max accusation max comfort kind of a sermon is that fair sure yeah do, do you think it what's your reaction to the oft repeated phrase that you preach the same sermon every week well, I think David kind of brought that out already. Right. If yeah. if we are preaching faithful preaching the word faithfully and the word itself is varied in its presentations and in how it talks about things, our sermons are also going to be varied. Some of them are going to be, well, like you said earlier, some of them will be geared towards conversion, some of them will be geared towards exhortation. I mean, Paul could even give sermons wherein, you know, he's giving thanks to God. He's actually addressing God directly in that sense, something I think we lack a bit in our preaching today. But the the, the variety of the word goes to show that our sermons are not going to be the same thing over and over and over and over again, just having to have different words inserted into the form. Uh, And so to kind of go back to your question, Willie, the expectation, I think a good expectation should be the sermon is there to illuminate the readings. The The point of the sermon is to kind of drive you back to God's word and help you better understand whatever one of those readings, or maybe all three of them. I mean, some, some sermons are, and sometimes the lectionary puts it out where all three, you know, kind of fit nicely together and can all be addressed. And, you know, there, there are probably sometimes where providence dictates that Perhaps we don't use that reading for that week, or sometimes we have to deliver a sermon on the fly. There, there are times of local disaster, for example, where we might need to pivot a little bit. Right? You know, might not be the best to use this text this Sunday because this is going to need to be addressed. I don't believe there's any sin in that. You know, we can get locked into that a little bit too, to where the sermon is seen as this product that we produce. You know, through whatever particular method, whatever you know, technique that we use to actually compose our sermons. But there has to be some, a a bit of dynamism in preaching that is ready to, at a moment's notice, address the actual things happening around in a a direct and concrete way. 
I mean, if we're if we're expositing scripture, it's going to address things. Yeah. I mean, that are that are going on in the congregation. But I'm talking about, let's say, the, a crop failure, right, or a plane crash, or plague, something something of that nature. The sermon exists to speak to the issue of the day. Now, I don't mean that we should get up and preach a green sermon, right? Or some kind of like stewards of the environment, Pope Francis style message. That's not what I'm advocating here. I'm talking about if you're in that situation, like let's say you're, you're the corn crops fail or or you're up Zelwyn's way and the cattle all get, I don't know what happens to cattle up there. Brucellosis. Do they still have that? <laughs> Oh, buffalo do. Yeah, but 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 I mean to but to be able to, but from the preacher's perspective, be able to do that. And I do think that that the congregant should have a reasonable expectation that the that they will hear God's word speaking to these things. I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. No, you're absolutely right, Willie. And the lectionary is really only a tool. We don't want it to become the the defining like this is how. This is exactly and only what can be said on this particular day as if everything else had no bearing upon the issues at hand. No, the lectionary is just there to facilitate preaching. If if we let it become our master, then we, we're really kind of missing point. And, I, and to, maybe to kind of pivot off of your examples with this, Willie, actually last year when I was still serving uh, the vacancy, we had a, a special service with regard to the drought that we had last year extremely severe, uh, one of the worst on record. And it was causing people a lot of concern because, you know, we weren't having the the amount of rainfall that even we up here in the, the dry western part of North Dakota could expect. And as a result, we had a, a special prayer service. And I remember preaching on that text and or preaching on the issue of the drought and then using God's providence as a way of, of bringing them comfort in that situation. So, I mean, just, just that addressing the real issues of real people is really what God wants us to do. And that can, that can bring comfort unlike no other. I mean, a re, when, you, when you open God's word and, say, and, and, and show where it actually is speaking to these situations, that, that can, we, we sometimes underestimate the power of the word in that way. And I, and I guarantee you that your sermon in the face of the drought was a lot more effective than at that in that moment, than you know, a thousand rain dances, or even, <laughs> or even the prospect of a grant for more, you know, irrigation ditches. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, so you had asked asked Willie about, you know, wh- what about the this? Sometimes the you'll hear the phrase, "We preach the same, we preach the same thing week in and week out." Well, that that can't really be true because God's word, not that the word changes, but uh, the word, the te- if if. The text is driving our preaching. Okay, the texts are going to be different week in and week out. And also, what you're saying here is that 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 people's lives change and they're affected by all kinds of things, right? And so, if if we only know one kind of sermon, the kind of conversion sermon where where we make people feel really bad and then we make them feel really good, that that's going to eventually i think it's going to eventually ring hollow there need there's time for instruction and there's time for admonishment there's time for comfort there's t- there's times for all of these things and the hearers just like the preacher has to be sensitive to that it is a good expectation to have not that the pastor can possibly know 
every detail of my life and like craft the sermon to me specifically. But I do, I think it's, it's a healthy expectation to say somehow this is going to address, you know, my world or the world around me or the life of my congregation, uh, which (laughs) includes me, of course. Right. Right. So that, you know, that brings us to another point when you're sitting and listening to a sermon, you may well feel stung by it. And that's and if and even if you leave still convicted and stung, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're a Christian and you're hearing a sermon and the and the word of God is proclaimed and, and your conscience feels a twinge, praise God for it because the Holy Spirit is still living and active within you. You're you you, you don't have the hardening that so many people do today. So many people who once believed. We we, we often try to avoid contrition or feelings of guilt, right? So so we want to say, okay, if I feel the sting of the law, then I got to wait for this gospel to come so I can feel all better. And experientially, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Yeah, what what do you want to hear when people go through the handshake line? Now, I, okay, I don't want to make <laughs> too many rules about these things, right? But sometimes people will say, oh, that was a great sermon. Thanks for your great sermon. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I, I would never discourage people from thanking their pastor that they like the sermon. That's great. But is it is it so bad if a person says, Pastor, that something about that sermon bothered me or, or something about what you said, I, I don't understand it. What did you know there that's not necessarily the sign of a bad sermon is the point, right? Now it could be. I mean it could be that this that the sermon was a bad, like the content was bad, right? But but it also could be that what you heard the fact that it sticks with you, just like you said, Willie, is the work of the Spirit here to prick your conscience, to make you examine yourself, to make you examine what God's Word says about, you know, whatever it might be, droughts or or sin or whatever it is. Yeah, we, we fall into kind of like a psycho-like play going on. I mean, like a psychoanalytical thing at times, the way our hermeneutic is sometimes presented or our, or our sermon tactic is presented where... I'm going to come out and I'm going to preach some really bearish law. It might not apply to you, but I'm going to preach it and it's going to, it's going to, I'm really going to hammer on. I'm really going to be fiery. And then I'm going to provocatively present the, the gospel. And, and so you're going to feel bad or at least uncomfortable in part one. But then in part two, you're going to get all the good feels, man, because I've preached the gospel so well. And when a pastor sets himself up like that, he's doomed to at least discouragement because that is not the way it always works when you're dealing with humans. Because that conviction of the law is meant to lead to repentance. It, it right. is. It's not, it's not merely to make you feel bad, okay, or, or, or something like that, even though it will. It's, it's, it's meant to lead you to see that you do fall short. It is meant to lead you to the cross, to Jesus Christ. And the gospel is meant for comfort. And at the same time, you do feel guilty because as a Christian, you want to do what? You want to turn from these things. And I, and I think we've gotten, we've, everybody's always trying to one-up each other with labels and these sorts of silly things, and especially in social media conversations and everything, as if God's word isn't absolutely clear about these things and what words like repentance means and everything common meme here but anytime the pastor has put himself in the position of the certain of the serpent in the garden of eden 
saying, hath God indeed said, and while actualing everybody, he needs to examine himself, and nine times out of ten, he needs to repent. But perhaps he too is hardened. So we, the point of all this is, the point of my little screed is this. Hearing the word also means accepting the word for what it says. And it also is a confession that the word of God is is clear. She's not a closed book to the one who is regenerate. And and that and that we shouldn't shy away from the fact that God is telling us things and informing every aspect of our lives. That it's not merely just this sort of one two punch and some smelling salts or something <laughs> like that. That's not the sermon at all. That'll preach. <laughs> so, That'll yeah. preach. So yeah. So you're hearing a sermon, what do you do then? And I'm not talking about the person who is who is sincerely, you know, stung by the law, but what if you just feel like the sermon wasn't good? It didn't it didn't really live up to your expectations. What what should one do? Well, are we talking about like And I have definitely shifted gears here, so I want to make that clear. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'm just and I'm just trying to clarify, are we talking about an actually a bad sermon or are we talking about you just think it's a bad sermon? Well, let's talk about both. Well, which one first? Let's go, let's go with you just actually bad sermon, then we'll go with think it's a bad sermon. Okay. It, can there be such a thing as an actually a bad sermon? Of course there can. Yeah, if Arius preached. If Arius preached, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bad sermon. Yeah, taking something about the word and deliberately twisting it, that's a bad sermon. Well, actuallying the Bible is a bad sermon. Right. Trying to make God say something other than he did actually does is a bad sermon. So yes, there is such a thing as preaching the word badly. David, do you want to add to that? I, I completely I, I completely agree with you. There yeah, and there's a difference between bad content and and maybe bad style. Maybe you, this is what you were about to to go into. So because there I mean there is a you know if I preach a orthodox sermon but but I have absolutely no no rhetorical skill in doing it. You know, was it a good sermon? The content was good, sure. But hmm, yeah. I mean I mean I don't I don't want to come down hard on that side and judge and judge that guy because at the end of the day we're yeah. not well the, so posters. yeah let me let me just say this then the the bad content sermon is in a different category. Well, this is what I was trying to get to. The Correct. bad content sermon yeah. is a different category than a bad I don't know how I said it before, but a bad style, a bad presentation. Yeah, the only time I would think that that really style would become truly detrimental is if the person just simply cannot communicate clearly. There's some sort of some sort of obstacle, and I'm not sure what that would look like. But then at the same time, Moses stuttered. So, yeah, well, he, God gave him Aaron. So, <laughs> well, well, fair okay, enough. how fair about enough. this? If it's bad style, if it's bad somehow lacking in what you expect from the polish maybe say of it then you just kind of have to swallow it right you you have to sort of get over yourself sounds like a you problem bro yeah because then you run into this real danger of going okay this guy's not fit to be a pastor i don't want to listen to him because i don't like his style and then now you're going against god's man there and the one who's been put there over over a a matter that is in the grand scheme of things relatively trivial I think I think we're making about six million divisions here, right, which, right. I th- which I think is helpful because there is such a thing in terms of style as like like you say being unable to preach. Yeah. On which case, a man should not be in the pulpit. 
you know, he is not apt to teach. But at the same time, if a man's particular style of presentation, and this is kind of really the third category, what we're getting at here, is not your <clears throat> speed, not your cup of tea, that's not his problem. I mean, and there there does come over on the other side of that, the pastor who preaches in such a way so as to magnify himself. Right. Then I think we're kind of coming back, okay, now this really is a, pro- there is a sure. problem of style that isn't some kind of, a, you know, of a physical disability or something like that. Or, you know, I, I'm trying to really think of a, of a, of a clear cut case where someone's style, you know, because of an impediment would really disqualify them. And I, and I can't, but that's the problem of not dealing with concrete situations. So we take them as a case by case basis, but, but in, but in general, yeah, style should not be something that, that discourages you from hearing the sermon. Now, on, on the other hand, too, if a man presents the word in an orthodox way and with, you know, great style, we should give thanks for that. Right, right. Yeah. 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 It shouldn't be a point of orthodoxy to not be good at this. Right. <laughs> or, to, or to somehow be. I, yeah, I delivered that one as monotone as, as I possibly could. <laughs> that could. Yeah, then, yeah, to magnify God's power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't bother to comb my hair or brush my yeah. teeth. The word did everything. <laughs> so, so to come back to your question, then like, okay, what if the sermon was bad? What if the content was bad? I mean, I, I think part of being a good listener, you you have to be you have to be somewhat critical, and and this is where it's it gets hard, right? Because we're saying you you need to be accepting of God's word, and if it doesn't live up to your expectations, then maybe your expectations need to change. And you have to be willing to kind of submit yourself to whatever is preached. But at the same time, there is value to being critical. You don't want to be just, you know, whatever the pastor says, I accept it all completely. There is a, a time for testing it with the scriptures and seeing, was that was that faithful or not? Right now, and if it's obviously a heresy, that's a good time to be critical. And there might be a time, like, let's say, if, if quite honestly, you can't, like hear what he's saying, not not in the sense of int- of understanding, but literally can't hear. It's not necessarily bad to say, Pastor, can you speak a little louder, right. or can we turn the microphones right. up a little bit, or is there a hearing assistance device? You know, not not all criticism is meant to just gut the pastor or anything. Sometimes it's merely a a case of practicality. What we want to avoid is nitpicking, judging the man, you know, based upon trivial, silly, and inconsequential things honoring that man up there as the one whom God has called to bring you God's good gifts, his word and, and his sacraments. And and so realizing that it is God who puts him there, that we should then hear what God is doing through him, what God would tell us through him. So with that being said, we want to hold fast to to what is taught, to the good that we have in these sermons. So how does one do that? How does one hold fast to what they're being taught or what they're hearing. I think this this gets into what what you do after the sermon. So we talked a little bit about, you know, beforehand, how do you prepare as it's, you know, as you're listening to the sermon and then, you know, after it's been preached, what do what do you do with it, right? And this is where having someone to talk to about the sermon is of great value. Whether it's it's someone in your family, somebody else in the congregation, the pastor himself, but but being able to talk about what did what did I just hear does wonders for actually retaining 
whether it's information, right? I mean, that's that's good if you retain information or more like what you were saying before, Willie, about the purpose of, you know, preaching the law is to actually work repentance in a person. And the purpose of the gospel is to strengthen faith. You, you have to be able to talk about these things to really hold it fast and then put it into practice. And with that, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about the written word, the Bible, and Bible study. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Visit our website, wordfitlyspoken.org. There you'll find new articles each week on the Bible and other topics. You can also join us on Facebook at WordFitlyPosting. That's WordFitlyPosting with a P to discuss anything you've read or heard. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back with more WordFitly Spoken. We are back. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi joining us tonight. David Apple talking about hearing the Word of God. So we've had a pretty long discussion about sermons, types of sermons, how to hear a sermon. So that's the hearing of the Word. But is there a way in which we listen to the written Word? Yeah, we're. I mean, we're stretching language here, but that's okay. I suppose we do that quite <laughs> that's, often. That's right? what we do now in this current year. Just for the sake of, of it all fitting together, we, we want to say that you listen also to the written word when you read it and when you actually read it. And the, the purpose of this, so I was kind of turning this over in my mind, is which of these is more important, which is usually a bad question, but which is more important to read the Bible or to listen to a sermon? And of course, the answer is that they're like mutually reinforcing, right? So the more you read, and we touched on this a little bit, the better prepared you are to hear a good sermon because you know more of the content of the scriptures. You're, you're familiar with the apostles preaching. You're familiar with the prophets preaching. And you have, one, you have a better grasp of, of the scope of the Bible as a whole, but you've also been exposed to the direct preaching of the Spirit, whereas your pastor's preaching is derived, right? So then, when we talk about reading the Word, obviously, uh, we are we are talking about just opening the Bible and actually reading it. Good old-fashioned reading through the Bible at home. <laughs> yeah, and that doesn't mean you're just going to sit down and just plow through as many chapters and verses as you can in, a, in an evening or in a morning. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And there's not anything wrong you know, with using devotional materials that have scripture, prayers, and then some kind of you know little little thing there. That's not that's not bad either, but at the heart of it all is spending time reading the word of God. So what's a good way to go about that, guys? Do we need a specific reading plan? Do we need to, is there only one way to do this? You know, how how do we dig into into the scriptures? 
Well, I'll kind of counter signal you a little bit, Willie, and say that there is still profit to plowing through large parts of scripture if we're doing it attentively. I knew this was coming. I knew this is Zelwyn's. I mean, and if you're going to be known for something, by all means, this is a good thing to be known for, Zelwyn. So please hold forth. Hold forth. Well, the the reason why I bring it up is not that it's like the only way to study the word. And I think this is kind of what Willie is getting at, too. It's not the only way to study the word, but I do find that reading large portions of the word, at least for a season, does help tremendously in gaining the the broad outlines of scripture and to see that the scripture is written as books, which I think is something that I think uh, little pieces of scripture. Well, but see, the difference is you're talking about actually reading it. I'm I'm commenting on just getting just through it because I open. have to, like it's yeah. a school assignment. Yeah, like you've just right. got to get through this. No, if, you, if you're actually truly imbibing large portions of scripture, of course, it's good for you. Uh, absolutely, it is. But but when it's just kind of this thing you're going to do to prove a point, right? I'm just going to sit down and for the heck of it, I'm going to plow through six books of the Bible as quick as I can, you know, just sort of pretending to speed read, you know, right? <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing. That's what we want to avoid. Yeah, we don't but want a, to be vain. Yeah, right. But a, but a careful reading and a, and, a, and a true and conscious reading no matter the quantity. I mean, you can be lazy and we wouldn't recommend that. Don't just go, I read five verses. That's all I can. That's all I can handle. No, it isn't. You can handle more, read more. Uh, But yeah, I mean, even, even the, the major prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, I mean, you can read that entire book reasonably within a couple hours. And if you think about how we spend at least a couple hours watching the average movie, Sure. It's not something that's beyond our ability. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, you see it all the time. People are like, man, I read X number of, of novels this month or or whatever. It's like, look, you know, put the Harlequins away for a minute. And uh, <laughs> But Harry Potter is so good. It's it's an allegory for the gospel, too, Willie. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just baiting you. I'm just baiting. <laughs> Keep going. Ignore me. Ignore me. You know, we don't need to get gimmicky with this. You know, like you don't need 17 colored pencils and a watercolor set to sit down and study the scriptures. Now, commentaries are good. And, and you know, like something like Treasure Daily Prayer is is good. But don't think that you're somehow doing something wrong if you don't have 15 other resources laid open. Yeah, yeah I think... I think Zelwyn, I think I've heard you say this before. If you leave something to chance, it's not going to happen. Right. And and I think it was in the context of talking about prayer, um, but it's very similar with Bible reading. So if I if I just kind of leave it to chance, well, someday I'd like to read through the book of Jeremiah. Okay. It's never going to happen until you actually like plan for it and and say, I'm going to set aside time. I'm going to make it part of of what I plan on doing. And that means forethought. I'm going to maybe have having some kind of a reading plan where you do say today I'm going to read through, you know, these three chapters of Matthew or I'm going to read through, you know, the whole book of Jeremiah. And this is what equips you to actually remember these scriptures in times of necessity or times mm-hmm. of trouble or times of whatever tribulation you're going through. It's it's not as satisfying going, OK, I've got headaches. Let me look at the concordance, you know, migraines and see if anything pops up. Spoiler alert, it won't. You know, there's that kind of approach to where I'm going to crack my Bible open when I need it. And the whole point is, is you want it in your heart 
and you want to keep it there for when you need it. And that's why we study the scriptures. I mean, it is to know what God would have us to know and then to be prepared for whatever comes after. That is part of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. How does Jesus Christ answer the devil's temptations? Yeah, with scripture. Yeah. With scripture, yeah. There are no there are rarely rhetorical questions on word fitly spoken. <laughs> Correct. With with the scripture. And what does that tell us then? When we are faced with temptations, we give in right because we're both old man and new man. No, of course not. When we are faced with temptation, what is the Christian response or what should be the Christian response? What weapon does the Christian have? Apol- apologies to certain exegetes, but I don't, you know, you don't need to thumb your nose and break wind. You need to remember the word of God and proclaim the word of God. Yep. Right. And this, this connects in with, uh, like I said before, they're, they're mutually reinforcing. So the more you read the Bible, the more benefit you're going to have from hearing uh, the preached word, because what's going to happen as you hear your pastor preaching, you're going to be reminded of, or the spirit is reminding you of these things. And and then the sermon, you, you don't just remember quotes from your pastor, or like, well, I really liked this, you know, imaginative way that he expressed that, but it actually calls to mind like another Bible verse or a particular section of script of scripture, and then you you cling on to that. That's what you hold fast from the sermon. And I think that that's that's the best way to do it. You know, like with within unity of your church, so. So I'm reading the scriptures at home, and I know that I'm going to be fed from the sermon and, and that sort of thing, rather than simply, as many do, retreating with just you and your Bible and seeking your own interpretation of it. Right. You know, it has to be in conjunction with the uh, public services of the church. Within the context of the Eucharistic assembly, right? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Does that have a trademark next to it when you say it? <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So, so yeah. So that's good. But we'll talk a little bit more about the Bible as it relates to you know public church uh, services and functions in just a second. So, a couple more practical questions, and then we'll move on. When it comes to reading the Bible, we don't mean that you need to that everybody needs to sit down and learn Koine Greek and pretend to learn Hebrew, as we all did. Yes, I, I learned Hebrew. Yeah. What we mean is. There's nothing wrong with reading the Bible in your language, and that's one of the gifts that we have that we sometimes take for granted, the Bible in our own language. And most of the major language groups in the world have a translation. So, And if, if there's anything that Willie is known for, it's the Bible in, in the vernacular. So, But, I mean, I mean, which one do we use, though, Willie? Well, there's really only one Bible in English, and that is the King James Version. But if you must, there are acceptable others. <laughs> I mean, look, you can get Fruit Loops, or you can get fruit, fruity oat loops, right? That's pretty good, yeah. You, know, you can get Count Chocula, or you can get, you know, Duke Fudgula or something like that. Dr. Pepper, you know, Dr. Thunder. You see where we're going with this, but no. <laughs> but, um, oh, man. but no, you, you're not bound to a particular translation, but there are some translations that are better than others. So King James, obviously, we'd recommend. And what would be another one that we would? King James, uh, you get your NASB is pretty solid. And I mean, I'm I'm much more for the literal than the paraphrase. I think we all are. So, well, the the, uh, the NASB is 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 tremendous. Yeah. And and really leans very strongly towards the literal. So NASB stands for New American Standard Bible, 
And so the one you're going to get today is the 1995 update, and there is a 2020 update coming. So I'm so we got KJV, yeah. New American Standard. What's I, another? I was going to say I'm partial to the New King James just because okay. I like the single paragraph Bibles, and for some reason a lot of them are New King James, at least the ones that I've that I've found. The ESV, of course, I think most of our congregations are using this in the Missouri Synod, so yeah, it's a very that, solid that's a good one to use too. We would say avoid things like open paraphrases like the message. I would, I think you guys would agree that there we should approach something like the New Living Translation with caution. And we would say certainly avoid heretical translations like the New World Translation that belongs to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Sure. But there are just so many strong translations out there. And if you have any other questions, you know, ask your pastor, see what he, see what he recommends. Well, and frankly, if it comes down to it, like, you know, should I be reading this or should I be reading that, especially with the good translations, really the best one is the one you're going to read. Yeah, sure. Honestly, you know, just pick one and go because you could spend all day trying to determine which one of these is going to be the best right. one, which one should I actually right. use. No, just just go. Yeah, it it is. You you can get lost. You're right. You can get lost in like the whole. Well, why is this one better than that one? Just you know, at yeah. some point, you just got to read. Yeah, and, and and remember, when you're reading the Bible, you're seeking to find out what God is saying, not necessarily what God is saying to me. What sort of secrets about me, or, or the end of the world, or whatever hidden thing is in here? That's not really why you're reading it. You're you're looking for a clear translation so that you will see what God has to say to His people. And so, I mean, for a, a final point of uh, inspiration here, I would say to to quote the movie Spaceballs, you know, ludicrous speed, go, just do it. <laughs> that that's yeah. re- that's really what we should be doing with Bible reading. You know, just just quit preparing and and do it. So, all that being said, then we're going to finish off on the last thing. We're going to talk about listening to God's word in the context of Bible class at your church. Now, I would say the vast majority of our churches are offering some kind of Bible study. I mean, all your guys are, right? Actually, I'm not, but that's kind of a long story. Well, yeah, but you're also, you know, circuit riding up in the in the in the frigid north, and I think you have plans, you know, to institute there. So Yeah, circuit riding and it's 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 never really been part of the congregation before. So it's kind of an uphill battle, but definitely moving towards implementing something. All right, so let's say you're not in North Dakota. And you got a Bible class. Well, what what Zellin points out, even even I mean, that's I'm surprised to hear that Zellin. I just I just assumed that this has always been part of the Missouri Synod. But actually, <laughs> when you look back on the history, like think about it, you guys are are going through Walther's pastoral theology. Does he have a section in there about how to prepare for Bible class? If he does, I don't remember it, and maybe I just need to to dust it off and. And look, I don't him. remember him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you do have confirmation instruction, which is going to be similar. But when we're looking at like modern Sunday schools, you know, you're looking at something that comes from the Methodists. Modern Bible classes are just that they're they're fairly modern, but it's a bit disingenuous to say that th- that some type of Bible study has not been yes uh, normative. And, and really, if you look at the history of sermons throughout the church, they kind of lend themselves more to Bible lectures a lot of the times. So we've kind of separated that as our sermons got shorter and shorter. But if you look at the sermons of the of the church fathers, they often read more like lectures, and I mean that in a positive way, like you like we would get in the classroom today, more so than you know mm-hmm. our 
they don't our sermons don't necessarily resemble no, that. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. And so the the fact I mean, we've lost the, you know, that Sunday you were in church multiple times and you were hearing, right. you know, much longer sermons. Because even in Luther's day you had the, the catechetical service where they're going to you know, it's going to be a worship service, but there's going to be that catechetical part of it too. So as we slowly separated that, now what does that mean then? That means that we ought to actually be diligent in attending Bible class too. Yeah, yeah, we could LARP about trying to get the trying to get those afternoon services back, which would be great. But we also already have this built-in time where essentially you're getting that time. You know, you're getting an hour, forty-five minutes to an hour, where you can you know, expound the Bible and you can hear, I guess we want to focus it on that, that side of the equation. You can hear God's word. You can ask questions. You can see how, you know, this section of scripture is illuminated by another section. I think it's invaluable for, for people to, again, to benefit from the sermon. I, I often find that as I'm teaching Bible class, I'll say, look, this is just like what we heard. Now I have two two services. I don't know if you guys have multiple services, but my my members who go to early service will tell me, pastor, that, you know, what you said in Bible class helped me understand this part of what we read or what you said in your sermon. So I think it's invaluable to 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 attend it. Is there a difference between the pastor teaching the Bible class and the pastor preaching the sermon? We sometimes make it out to be, I think largely because as you were saying that as sermons have become more and more uh, re- rhetorical, I guess, would be the. I don't know what the right way of putting it would be. Right, right. But I know what as, they've, yeah. as yeah. they've shortened up and become yeah, less I was, like. I, yeah, I was struggling myself to find a diplomatic way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't mean rhetorical in a bad way. It's just no, we no, tend no, to see we tend to see modern sermons as very much performances in a positive sense. Like we are proclaiming, like I'm the herald in the marketplace, and I'm proclaiming the king's message. And then we tend to see the Bible class as just kind of being, oh, well, I'm just talking. But really, I mean, they're not that different. Have you, you, you remember this, this was kind of popularized at some point. There was a difference between the apostolic kerugma and the didache. So a difference between their preaching and their teaching. But that's, I think that was done as a as a way to dodge certain parts of the Bible that you wanted to say, you know, Paul's exhortations and admonitions are of a lower of a lower <laughs> class than, you know, the the preaching of Peter at Pentecost or Paul in in the book of Acts. So we want to I, I think we want to recover that and say the taught word and the preached word are are both part of this chief means of grace. That's how God's word is delivered to us. You know, should a Christian Try to be a regular attendee at Bible class. That's kind of like asking, should a Christian be a regular attendee at, at Sunday service? Well, it's, it's a question we do often yeah. have to ask, yeah. sadly. You're right. You know, even of the right. service. Um, yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. You know, it's a really low percentage of people that stick around for Bible class. A lot of times what you're going to get is one of two answers, if they're being honest. I've got other things to do, and sometimes there are legitimate excuses, work, that sort of thing. Youth soccer doesn't count, especially on Sundays. They're, they're going to say, I don't have time. Or they're going to say, I don't like the class. Now, what would be your response to those two objections? The first one, I forget. The objection of just, I don't have time for no particular reason, just because I want to watch football, maybe. Yeah, I mean, at that point, it's the response has to be, you need to 
evaluate your life right? <laughs> and reevaluate. And I, I right. say that on the podcast. I don't think I've ever said that directly to somebody uh, <laughs> who I'm talking to, but that's really what needs to happen of why, why do I think that other things are more important than learning about the Bible? And it's, and it's in our Bible classes on average are not long, 45 minutes to an hour. And unless if you want to fill it with five or six hymns and uh, announcements, <laughs> You know, you're getting a good 25 minutes of Bible study. What about the person who just doesn't like the class? Yeah, go and make it better. I mean, if you think that it's that it's not good, then you go and ask your illuminating questions. And, sh- <laughs> you know, don't take the class over. But if you can make it better, that's part of why you're in the congregation, right? And one of these, and we're talking about all this, not simply to just arbitrarily say, you need to be here because we want to check your name off the list. We're trying to say that, this is an opportunity to, what we're telling you is to go to church, hear the word, receive the sacraments. We're telling you in your own personal devotion to read the word of God with prayer. And then we're saying, come together with those same people that you kneel with at the altar on Sunday to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come together with those same people to break the bread of his word and, and study it together and learn together and grow together in the faith because that is how the church exists mm-hmm. as a community. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay. And the church is one body under our Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to come together when we have those opportunities, not just for potlucks, and that's perfectly fine. Meals are perfectly great and good and salutary means of fellowship. But all the better is coming together and studying and reflecting on his word and seeing what God is telling his church. It's the same thing he's been telling his church since the beginning, but we're learning it new. We're learning more. You cannot exhaust the word of God. There's always more to come back. There's always fresh water to draw from that well. It also, I I think it's valuable to point out the, the corporate element here. It doesn't just benefit you personally to go to Bible class, but it it helps your whole congregation. I mean, how, how can a congregation handle conflict if it doesn't study the Bible together? How can a congregation be an engaging witness if there's not biblical study together? I mean, that's that corporate sense sometimes needs to trump our, you know, the the over individualized. Well, I don't get anything out of it personally. Yeah, unity is born through a shared confession. Okay, and that shared confession and, and profession really is found in the scriptures. And the more biblically literate we become, the greater we'll grow in unity in our congregations. So, guys, any last thoughts before we wrap things up here? I think I think we've covered it, but I'll I'll just kind of reiterate here that the preaching of God's word is the chief means of grace, and that means that hearing God's word is of the utmost importance for the Christian, and it's important to hear that word preached from a pulpit. It's important to hear that word read out from your own Bible. And then by all means, bring your Bible with you to church. You know, if people think you're a Baptist, okay, so what? But bring your Bible to church and go to Bible class and hear the same word taught to you. These are the, This is the way that the Holy Spirit still works, still works in our hearts and minds. And be able to say that this is my Bible, right? To have a Bible that you are so familiar with and that you are in so much that, I mean, you you even learn where things are on the various pages because you've read it so many times. A, a Bible falling apart is a 
a glorious thing. And a Bible that just looks pretty sitting on the shelf gathering dust doesn't really do all that much good. Well, all right, guys, that's going to wrap us up here to Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard, check us out. Want to know more? Check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. If you have any questions or comments, you can certainly email us to the website or join our Facebook group, Word Fitly Posting. That's Word Fitly Posting with a P. I'm Willie Grills with Zell and Heidi and David Abel. God love you and God bless.